This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we got a special guest on the podcast. His name is Pete Roberts. So he is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and he is the founder of Origin USA, which, guys, this is a, a super fast-growing company headquartered in Farmington, Maine, and it is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu lifestyle brand that's focused on creating dynamic products and training gear that both elevate and promote the culture and sport of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm not a jiu-jitsu guy. There's so much more in this podcast than just talking about jiu-jitsu, even though we do spend a lot of time talking about that. And his main business partner is a guy that I'm sure some of you, at least in the audience, have heard of before, and that's the one and only Jocko Willink. So under this brand, under Origin, they also run the Jocko Fuel brand, and that is Jocko Willink's nutritional supplements, and that line has protein and energy drinks and all kinds of other stuff that I'll get into here in just a second. But overall, Pete's goal is to bring manufacturing back to the United States because a lot was made of the fact, especially in 2020, that almost everything that we needed, that we really needed, was made somewhere else overseas. And so we get into the story of origin. Like, you know, he had some entrepreneurial ventures beforehand, and we, we get into some of that, and we get into some of the failures and some of the lessons that he learned. But then where he got this itch to do essentially the impossible, which is to bring manufacturing back to the United States, which is, you know, where we've lost a lot of our advantages in terms of a country is because we let our manufacturing go overseas. So it's an incredibly awesome story. But guys, we hit it off so well. And he and I have been, you know, working together for a little bit. And I was adamant about, hey, I want to make sure that our guys can try your stuff. You know, I try to mention your stuff and share yourself on social media. So Pete and I work something out. And this is great for you guys. And it's great for just our listeners. Okay. We set up a promo code so that you guys can try out some of the origin and Jocko fuel products. So guys in the show notes, you'll be able to get this, but if you're listening to this now, you can go to it later, but it's originmain.com. So again, that's just origin main, main, like the state.com. And the promo code is Kyle, just my first name, K Y L E. But I, I need to spend some time talking to you a little bit about these products. So let's start with the Jocko fuel stuff. So Jocko Fuel, like I mentioned, they've got supplements and different things like that. So this is my favorite one uh, that they do in terms of the protein. If you guys aren't watching this on YouTube or Rumble, I'm holding up the Jocko Mulk Banana Cream Bomber. I'm actually going to open this real quick. Get a little sniff. Oh, baby. Oh, it smells so good. It smells like a, literally like a banana cream shake, but they got a bunch of other stuff. They've got joint warfare for all you old guys that have trouble getting out of bed in the morning. They've got vitamin D. They've got sleep aid stuff. They've got creel oil. So it's like fit. Well, actually there's one left in here. I thought that was empty. I'm going to take it live. All right, that's going to be weird for anyone that's not watching. But yeah, there was one left in here. I thought this was an empty bottle. But I got to tell you about my my favorite product in the entire Jocko Fuel line that they have. And it's this. It's Jocko Greens. Okay? So, guys, if you've ever tried to do stuff with greens before and you've heard some other green products that have been you know advertised on other stuff, it's essentially where you put one scoop into your water, into your protein shake or something like that, and you can kind of get your, your greens for the day. The thing with a lot of greens, though, guys, is they taste terrible. Like they literally taste like they were filtered off of a dirty foot, right? And it's just, it's so bad. And so when I saw they had created Jocko Greens, I was like, okay, that's exciting. That's awesome. Ugh, I really hope it doesn't taste terrible. And I got to be honest, guys, this is the best tasting greens product. And I've had some fancy ones from some stuff that you can't buy in stores and all that. This is the best tasting one that I've had by far. So this is the pineapple coconut one. So you guys can check all that out. But now let's talk a little bit about origin. 
So the cool thing about Origin is it's not just geese and rash guards, but it is geese and rash guards, and we'll get back to that. They've got jeans, right? They started making jeans a few years ago, and guys, these jeans are, are incredible. I'm kind of specific about my jeans, and I want them to fit a certain way, and I want them to kind of give me some breathing room, if you know what I'm talking about, and that's exactly what their jeans do. Also, they have boots. So they have regular boots, and they've also got steel toe boots for the for those of you guys that you know work outside or work where you need these boots. It's called the Built Boot. If you need those boots to protect your foot and all that, they've got all those things set up they're made by hand so you have to wait you know a couple of weeks before you can get them but i mean it literally feels like like when you pull them out of the box you're like holy cow like this feels like something that was created with love and it absolutely was and again like i said they've got rash guards and they've got some other stuff hoodies and whatnot but we've got to talk about the geese because I talk about jujitsu all the time on this podcast, I basically beg you guys to start training jujitsu. And I'm starting to get a lot of you guys. I just got another message, another DM yesterday with a guy that started training jujitsu because of this podcast. And so if he gets injured, he's going to blame me. And after this podcast, he's certainly going to blame Pete Roberts. But I got to show you this gi. This is now my new favorite gi. So this is the Rift gi. So I got it in black. All my gis are black. But you got the little Origin logo there on the back. But you guys won't be able to feel this, obviously, through the microphone and through the speakers. But like, look. Look how light it is. Like a lot of you guys have had geese before. And if you were to pick it up, like I'm picking it up right now, it's going to be stiff as a board, but look how light this is. Like when I train in this, not only have I been stopped during training, this has legitimately happened on multiple occasions, just so guys can touch the jacket. Right. And this is one of three origin geese that I have now, but the rift gi is just my personal favorite. If you're looking for one to get, but then the other thing I want to talk about before we get you on to the interview, I know guys, I know it's taken a while, but this is all good stuff. So these are the gee pants. You know, I, you might be thinking like Kyle, gee pants are all the same. What does this matter? But these are the pro pants. And this also happens with their ones that aren't the pro pants, but I just want to show you this real quick. I'm holding it up to the camera. There is a buckle on the front of these pants. Okay. So if you've ever had gee pants before, they have a drawstring. And if you train hard, like we do down at the Forge here in Edmond, Oklahoma, that drawstring will come undone. It'll just flat out come undone. And some uh, companies really skimp on the material of the drawstring. So it doesn't really create the best knot and it becomes a major issue. And I guess people have really gotten used to the fact that gi pants don't fit well. But if you get the pro pants through origin, you can buy them like you're buying a pair of jeans. So you can buy them with a waist size. You can buy them with a length size. So it's better for you, especially if you compete in tournaments where they have, they're really, really strict about their, their gi links and, and all those different things that kind of helps you get squared away. But this buckle right here, Basically, once you belt, buckle it and ratchet it, you know, tighten it up, it's basically, you know, not, not exactly like football pants or something like that, but it's more, it's more of a belt as opposed to a tie. And so as I've been training in these, and again, we train really, really hard at my gym, it's never gone anywhere. So I take up that little bit of slack and then I just get after it. And so it, there are times when I'm rolling in other people's geese, which I will remain, remain nameless, that I've now donated and I don't even own them anymore, that in the middle of a roll, I'm having to say, hey man, stop, you know, my pants are literally falling down. I think my butt crack's hanging out. Like, that's not something that you want to do while you're rolling. So guys, I know this seems like a little bit of a long commercial, but I'm just so excited about this brand. I've been following Origin for so, so, so long. I've seen them basically go from just doing geese and rash guards to expanding out to all these other incredible products. I want you guys to check them out and I'm so thankful to Pete and the team over there that they've kind of worked out this ambassador program type thing so that you guys can experience their products for yourself. So again, it is in the show notes, but it's originmain.com and use the promo code Kyle at checkout. So that's K-Y-L-E at checkout. All right, guys, I have certainly kept him from you long enough. So without further ado, let's get into it. Pete Roberts, welcome to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Glad to finally get on here. 
Yeah, I, we, we, we got to say finally because I swear we had to move this around, but for good reason because there are people that cancel and reschedule and they don't have good reasons. But you're rebuilding America, damn it. And so, like, you, you got stuff to do. You got a lot of things going. But I will point this out. This is the first because I wear a black shirt on all my all my podcasts. This is the first time I've worn a black shirt with something on it, okay? So just for you, Pete, just for you, I'm rocking the origin. Appreciate that. It's not only just something, that is the wave of freedom right there. That so. is right. And we're going to get a lot more into that. And I think you'll actually enjoy what I'm calling this episode today. I'm calling it Make It in America Again. So just to make people that that hate Trump a little bit, I, I kind of snuck a little bit of that in there uh, just to bother people a little bit. But uh, we we kind of have to start this conversation with you, with jujitsu, because sure. with a lot of the things that you're doing with Origin, with a lot of things that you're moving into, I guess, for, at least from my perception, it starts with the foundation of jujitsu. But everyone kind of has their own story about how they got into the sport because a lot of people get into it and then get out of it immediately because it sucks and it's terrible and they get hurt and blue belt blues or whatever else. So for you individually, like how did you in your goon size and goon strength get into something where you decided you wanted to strangle people with their jackets? Well, it all started, I would say, the same way. Uh, it starts with other folks. You go to your first class and some 150-pound computer geek chokes you out and you don't know what happened. Right. And then you go back again thinking, oh, that was a fluke, and it happens again and again and again. Uh, so once that happened, I was addicted. It was, it was day one, night one of class one. I was addicted. Um, you know, I had tried other things, you know, other martial arts, and after playing football in college and then dropping out of college, looking for kind of that thing to fulfill me. Um, Jiu-jitsu, man, it just, it, it bit me hard, real hard, hard enough to build a factory in my backyard. Well, so, so what year did you start jujitsu? 2006. I think I was, yeah, I was like 20, 2006. So I think that was what, 16 years ago, maybe. Right. So, okay. So talk to me a little bit about what jujitsu was like in the early 2000s because I started training uh, five years ago so like 2017 and so cool. obviously we get a little bit of you know we're further down the road with MMA and UFC and, and more people are really excited about jiu-jitsu and you know the the Gracie stuff had long since happened right yeah. you know the you know with the early UFCs and that kind of thing but like what was it like back then where you know in I guess how have you seen it evolve because now it's like you got dudes that have been black belts for 10 years getting beat by a guy that's trained with Donaher for six months. You know what I mean? But like, what yeah. was it like back then? Yeah. I mean, it, it was, uh, it was tough to, to, in, especially in Maine, you know, we had, there was maybe two, two or three black belts in the whole state of Maine. Mm. And, you know, for, for like really good training, especially as I was getting into like training, competing, I would, I would travel shit i would travel to boston train for an hour and a half and drive home so that would be like a eight nine hour drive yeah you know there and back and then i'd do connecticut i'd go down and train with formiga once a week too rafael barbosa and that was like a five or six hour drive one way and train for an hour and a half two hours and then drive all the way back to maine so it was hard to get the that like really good talent and then of course there there wasn't a ton on on youtube you didn't have all these techniques and didn't have all these, you know, different ways of, of gaining knowledge and content. So, you know, it was passed on from instructor to student, uh, you know, a little different than it is now where there's really good content. And I mm -hmm. think that's why guys can get good so fast now. So, 
Well, I remember hearing people talk about how they used to have to drive a few hours to find a purple belt to train with. Oh yeah. And like, I, I, I'm always constantly reminding myself that like we have a very, very unique gym here in Oklahoma, a -hmm. lot of guys. So a lot of guys that are hobbyists, but also a lot of guys that are trying to make this like their career. We've got world, you know, IBJJF world champions at our gym. And then we got dudes that are maybe training once a month and they're just trying to, you know, maintain the calluses on the tips of their fingers kind of a thing. But I guess that's the thing now is just the, the sheer number of really, really good people, purple belt and above all over the country. So you could rest assured that you could, you know, take your gi with you on the road and just pop into some random gym in Nashville or in Boise or in or certainly San Diego or Austin, and you're going to get some good roles. And I mean, I guess, do you feel like you were cheated a little bit in your early jujitsu life because you had to go through all this, you know, struggle just to get good training in? No, I, uh, I appreciated it. it was, it was exclusive, you know, a little bit exclusive to be, really good at jujitsu, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. especially in the early days as like a purple belt or a brown belt or even a black belt, you know, I'm a third degree black belt. So even a black belt in America back then, because it was just starting, you know, really to, to spread across the country. Now, obviously the hotbed of California, then all of a sudden Texas came on board, you know, and then other, other States followed in suit. But, um, it was, it was cool, you know, like tournaments, you'd be like, oh, there's black belts here. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? There's like, oh shit, there's there's black belts. They're like a mythical creature. Yeah, and they would then they would like fly in black belts to compete so you could watch black. You know, it was, it was like a big deal. Now a jiu-jitsu black belt, they're, they're everywhere and they're all tough. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no secrets anymore. There used to be secrets back then, secret techniques, secret way to do things. You didn't share a lot of that, a lot of that knowledge. You kind of, you, you hung on to it. So, um now it's everywhere. Right. Well, let, let's talk a little bit more uh, about that specifically, because to people that don't train jujitsu, they look at it the same way they would look at karate or Aikido or something like that. And so when someone's like, oh yeah, I, you know, I'm a karate black belt. It's like, well, how long you been training? Ah, two and a half, three years. And it's like, unless you're BJ Penn, like that's not really happening in American jujitsu. And I, I talk about jujitsu constantly on the show, but I mean, I just got my purple belt. So I'm, I'm basically like a little kid compared to you or some of the guys that have been training for a long, long time. And it would be that way if we rolled as well, but d- give us a little bit of perspective from your perspective about what it means to be a black belt now. And, and I'll, I'll give a quick story and then I'll, I'll tee you back up a, a couple of years ago at our gym there were a lot of brown belts that all got promoted to black belt on the same night. So we're talking like six or seven black belts. Mm-hmm. And some people might look at that and be like, gosh, I guess I'll just give anybody their black belt. But I think of all the guys that had been training, the one that had been training the least amount of time had trained for about 13 years. Yeah, He had guys getting promoted to black belt you know, that had been training for two decades in jujitsu, but they kind of came into it and came out of it because of their job or their family or sickness or injury or something like that. But just kind of explain the path. And I'm using that terminology, obviously specifically of going from a first day white belt to a black belt and kind of what that entails. Cause people, Pete, they just, they just don't get it. They don't get how hard it is. Yeah. I mean, the, the most memorable moments for me in, in going from a, a first day white belt to a black belt, that first stripe on the white belt, like, oh man, oh man, feels so good. I still have my picture of of me holding my first stripe because I was so yeah. nervous about not being able to pass the stripe test. And then the the purple belt is a big one because it shows that that commitment to being in the gym for let's say five years, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got the black belt, 
which is like the next step. So three important things. First stripe on white belt, purple belt, and black belt. Purple belt's the best belt. Purple belt, you know, you got an athletic, you know, wrestler come in and, you know, he passes your guard and, and taps you. And it's like, ah, oh, you know, that guy's tough. But then you chase you chase a black belt and get his back. And it's just, it's a good belt with no pressure. You know what I mean? So purple, purple belt's the best belt. But the progression, you know, from white to black belt, it really comes down for me to uh, movement and timing and kind of the invisible side of jujitsu, the things you don't see when you're watching a YouTube video of two guys training, you know, just your, it's not thinking and just moving, you know, and, and by the time you hit black belt, you're just moving. Your body knows what to do, just like dribbling a basketball down the court or running. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Your body just knows this is what you need to do. So your hands are moving, your feet are moving, your hips are moving, Everything moves, you know, on on time or early. So um, you you change the you change the synapses in your brain, um, and the further you get into it, the more it becomes part of you. The less thought you have to put into it, it just happens. So um, when you first start, it's just so much coming at you. You're drinking mm. through a fire hose. You don't know what's going on. Your your brain is working. You're breathing hard. Your body's working. Uh, so there's, there's quite a progression that takes a lot of time and really through training and really through rolling, rolling. I do a lot of rolling. My students do a lot of rolling. So I'm a big proponent of, of rolling. Well, rolling and also competing and, you know, some of the best guys in our gym, they constantly say like, you will learn so much from competing than just from drilling and drilling's good and, and rolling with, with guys that you know is good. But I was just thinking about this last night. There are takedowns that I've hit in almost every single one of my tournament matches that I've never hit in our room. And it's partially because the guys know it's coming. And so like they're, they're looking, it's an, it's an outside single that I like to hit. And it was like, they're, I'm not going to let Kyle get this outside single. There's no way, but in competition, they don't know you, they don't know what you're going to do. And like, you can hit these takedowns, but also when you go back and watch your matches in competition, you're like, like I, I had a guy with a sub in a white belt tournament that I had never even tried before. But it was just like, well, well, here was my leg is here and now it can be here. And then I ended up, you know, getting a, was I think it was a bone arrow. And it was just like, I had never hit that particular sub from that particular angle. We never even trained it or drilled it, but it's like your body, even at white belt, when you're, when you basically suck at everything, it's like your body just starts to understand it. And then when you watch these grappling matches or when you watch, uh, you know, MMA fights that go down to the ground, you're noticing stuff that your beer drinking dumb buddy is not noticing. Oh, and, yeah. it, and it gets into all those different things. So before we move on from jujitsu, I got to have you give us like a commercial because I've had so many people in my audience start training jujitsu. They've, uh, you know, sent me DMS or sent me emails like, Oh man, I started training and you know, I bought this, bought this gi and now I'm getting after it and blah, blah. And like, you know, it's such an exciting thing when I get that message, but there are a lot of people out there that are still hesitant. And I know yeah. a lot of people that are in the LEO community that, you know, they don't think they need something like that until they get, you know, an athletic strong, you know, guy that's hopped up on some sort of a illicit chemical that is not allowing them to take him to the ground and be controlled. So here is your commercial. All right. So you're a politician now and you are not selling a vote. You are selling that these guys need to get on the path and either start training jujitsu or keep training jujitsu. I'm backing away from the microphone. Give us a commercial. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, jujitsu is, you know, undeniably the best thing you can do for your body and mind. You know, it's it's not just about your physical health. 
it actually is mental health too. And I think people don't really realize that connecting those two things, the physical and mental, changes the way you view the world and, and go throughout the world, changes the way you think about work and interacting with people. You find you find opportunities and advantages with leverage. You know, you 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 listen better. You know, it's just it, it changes the way you think. I mean, origin, this this company was built from jujitsu. We were born on the ground, you know, and and I applied all the concepts and techniques of jujitsu to life, to business. So it's not just about walking through the door, getting on the mat and sweating it out and becoming part of a brotherhood. Those are all great things. It's much, it's much deeper than that. I wouldn't say it's, it's a spiritual thing. It's just, I think it just pushes, pushes really your, I think it pushes your total person to the next level. At least that's what it did for me. Got me through rough times. You know, if, if I need to, if I need to get out and vent because of something, I vent on the mats. I vent through training. You know, if I'm feeling a burden or pressure or something, I, I, I can relieve that on the mats. I can relieve that through training and that, that interaction with another person. So, um, yeah, man, I think everybody should train jujitsu. I think the world would be a much better place. And just like that, everyone in my audience went out and bought an origin gi and they're finding a school in their area and they're going to make it happen. I, I do want to key in on something that, that you brought up. So you kind of stopped yourself short of talking about the spiritual side of jujitsu. So typically Pete, when I talk about jujitsu, I do talk about the physical and the mental aspect because that's, that's the most noticeable, obviously the physical, cause you're doing something with your body that is very, very physical, but then the mental aspect of, you know, the 150 pound computer nerd that wraps you up in a pretzel because he's so much smarter than you. And he, he can understand like almost like an engineer, well, this problem's going to open up three doors and those are going to open up three doors each and that kind of a thing. But with, with our, uh, with our company, with our ministry, we talk about spiritual, mental, and physical resilience constantly. You know, the ability to bounce back, not strength, but the ability to bounce back even with you getting, when you get knocked down mm -hmm. and there's no better way to practice constantly sucking than jujitsu, like yeah. maybe golf, but golf's golf's dumb and terrible, but it's like, you know, why uh, for me, it is a spiritual connection to a degree because when you're exhausted physically, exactly. when you're exhausted mentally, the only thing left for you to reckon with is your spirit. And I don't mean spiritualism, like, oh, I'm connected to the earth. I'm going to go hook my ponytail to a tree. Not that. But for me, it's a Judeo-Christian ethic to where it's just like, I'm learning something about, you know, what Christ did on the cross by enduring a comp class, which seems silly to people. But jujitsu is, is not like this kind of woo-woo thing. It can take you to places that you never thought would be fathomable in terms of your ability to survive. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, no, it's, it's exactly. There's when you are, when you, like you said, and to your point, when you're not only physically exhausted, but mentally exhausted, it's like climbing a mountain and getting to the top, you know, and taking that deep breath, you know, yeah. and, and when you can get that, as many nights a week as you want, like it's, that's true freedom, you know? And, and that's what I mean by it opens up your mind, opens up your brain, allows you to, allows you to get out of your own damn way, you know? Yeah. And so yeah, I definitely, definitely. When you're pushing yourself. So like, again, I agree with you first stripe on your white belt, your purple belt, and then getting your black belt. Obviously I've only experienced two out of those three. Uh, eventually I, I hope to experience all of those, but, 
for me, I've heard Jocko say this before to where it's like, you should train jujitsu for as long as it takes you to sub somebody that is at your level and you do it where you knew what you were doing the whole way. You set them up, you got into the right position and then, and then you took them out. Cause that may take you six months before you can legitimately get to that place. But for me, it's like, go to that, the hardest class of the week. And everybody knows what that is at your gym's calendar. For us, it's Thursday night. That's competition class. I usually do the class before that. And then competition class, which is a lot of rounds, a lot of long rounds. It's all the killers from our gym show up. Train as long as it takes you to be in that class where you are clearly the worst person in the class. Cause I can remember the worst night of my jujitsu life where I looked around for the nail and didn't see any, all I saw was hammers. And I was like, Oh, Oh, I'm the nail and I'm going to be the nail for the next hour and a half. And I was, but the thing was, is that next practice shows you who you are because going through a rough practice is a good time to take it easy on yourself. And let's, let's take a break and let's, you know, maybe give our, our, our body some time to recover. But if you walk into class the next day and you're ready to get after it, not only does that, you know, display something to your teammates, it displays something to you. So, so that resilience is really, really important, which does kind of go into, to your path. And we don't have all the time in the world to, to go into this, but obviously you mentioned earlier in the podcast that you, you dropped out of college, you know, you were a collegiate athlete, all those different things, but you had a very circuitous route to starting origin. Like this wasn't your first entrepreneurial uh, venture or business venture or something like that. And I remember you know, hearing you talk about this even years ago, you took a lot of lumps uh, yeah. over the years to, to get where, where you are now. And I assume that you would say you haven't arrived, even though most people would disagree with that sentiment. <clears throat> so give us a little bit of that idea of like, okay, where does that entrepreneurial bug for Pete Roberts come from? What were some of the early things that you tried, you know, ups and downs, and then we'll just see where it goes from there. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I was a young entrepreneur, dropped out of college, started my own business. It was a, a media company ad agency type of thing. And had a bunch of young kids I hired and we were crushing it and it was good. Um, you know, 2008 came around and being a young, naive entrepreneur and being naive is also can be a superpower uh, as well as what I say, ADHD, you know, for me is also a superpower if you want to want to label it. Um, you know, I didn't know how to pivot during that recession and I was just lost and I had to, I had to shut everything down, uh, you know, and really think about, and, and I was training jujitsu at the time. I was a couple years into training, you know, really think about like, what am I doing with my life? How am I going to support my wife and two young kids? You know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with much, you know, my mom was on uh, welfare for a while, you know, kind of broken home situation out in the, out in the woods of Maine. So, you know, I, I had to kind of scrap for everything, you know, in life. Um, so I was always resourceful and resourcefulness is a really, a really the, the number one trait I look for in people when I hire them too. Hmm. Um, but, you know, training jujitsu, you know, during the kind of that, you know, 2009, 2010, as I was without work and kind of direction, um, you know, just made me think outside the box. And I was competing and traveling and training. And I was able after, after, I don't know, it was either six months or a year, I was able to salvage a small piece of that company. And I sold a tiny piece for a very small amount of money. 
um, where I was able to pay off some debt after we had basically sold everything except for our home. You know, I sold everything. You know, we had my her her parents giving me money. You know, five hundred bucks here, or whatever, and just just to kind of like, hey, we know you guys are struggling. We went on honestly. We went on a uh, state aid. You know, we were on like I don't know if I've ever shared that. Um, just like state health care for a year too. You know, and and um, you know, it's, it was it was a shitty place to be as a man. Yeah. Um, and uh, and supposedly, you know, like the let's say the breadwinner of the family because my wife was a stay at home mom. So uh, a lot of reflecting. And I used jujitsu to help me reflect and think outside the box. And um, and origin was born during that time. You know, is kind of is is kind of created. Uh, I, I hate to use the word created, but it was it was designed and conceptualized and deployed during that during that time. About a about a, a year it took me about a year to get my shit together. Um, and my wife always said, hey, it, it, as long as we never lose our house, like that's the only thing I ask people, you know, just don't ever let me lose my home. You know, we had a small, a small 24 by 34 timber frame home we built, you know, it's just held together with, with pegs, mortise and tenon joints, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's not like this luxurious place, of course. Yes. Now, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more into life and we have nice things in in different locations and, you know, and business has been good and um it's it's different you know it's definitely mm-hmm. different than where we were but uh i appreciate what we went through because i'm never going back i'm never going back and <clears throat> and it's almost like uh when i get up in the morning every day is my first day and every day we're a startup and every day I get up believing we need to rip faces off and take knees out. And that's taking market share away from, you know, you could call it brands and companies, but just doing a better job at it and, mm-hmm. and doing it in a way that affects America's communities uh, and the people of America that were abandoned, um, especially through you know, the, the manufacture, the exportation of manufacturing and machinery and knowledge over the last couple of decades, we're just going to do it better. And we're going to do it without compromise. And I'm not, I'm not looking back because I know there's somebody probably better than me. Um, you know, that's behind, behind me somewhere chasing me, but, uh, keeping a singleness of purpose and a directive, you know, actionable, um, and, and, and staying focused on it, not getting distracted. Like every day I got it, I do that. And that takes, and it's like, in, in like jujitsu, it takes resilience and it takes stamina. But the reason I do that is because I'm never going back. Right. You know what I mean, cause, cause you have that experiential knowledge, which drives, it really drives, uh, perspective and ultimately creates context for future your future absolutely and and anyways that's that's kind of like the little the little story on that i guess well no i i appreciate you going into that detail and sharing some of those facts so back in that same time period 2008 2009 that's when i was graduating from college and my wife and i got married you know early we were both 22 years old Mm -hmm. and i can remember um 
when things were so unbelievably tight, we're in a 500 square foot, you know, shotgun uh, style duplex. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to make it, I'm doing a bunch of different odd jobs because no one's really hiring. Like, and I graduated top of my class, you know, yeah. like, and it, it, there was nothing, there was nothing that you could really do. And I remember us going to Sam's club and we bought one of those huge Sam clubs pizzas. And right. That was going to feed us for like three days, right. We were going to make it last for three days. Well, we get home and, it didn't fit in our freezer because we had this tiny, tiny little refrigerator, right? And so luckily, and I thought this was a blessing from God, it was like 20 degrees outside in Oklahoma, which is, you know, it doesn't get that cold around here that often. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to set this pizza on the back porch, on the back stoop. And, you know, we'll get it in the morning because, you know, it's like nine o'clock at night. We're not going to cook this pizza and eat it now. Right. Well, the next morning, you see where this is going. I go out there and the pizza had been eaten. So by raccoons or, you know, coyote or something like there was like crust left and plastic and cardboard. And I remember my feeling, Pete, like I was almost in tears because that wasn't just a lost meal or two or three. That was a microcosm of my inability to provide for my family. Sure. Right. Yeah. And so when I look back on that time, Pete, I look back with reverence to where it's like, I never want to be in that position again, but that that was my bad where someone else's bad is way worse. But if you don't mind me psychoanalyzing a little bit, as I was listening to you describe that period of your life, I couldn't figure out if you were describing it from a place of reverence or sadness, because there was quite a bit of, you know, sadness in your voice and, you know, talking about going on aid and those different things. And, you know, the, the, take the, the hit to your pride as a man, yeah. you know, obviously like every, I think we all understand that to a degree, but is that coming more from a place of reverence or sadness? Um, neither. It's, it's just, honestly, it's coming from a place of, um, it need, it needed, it needed to happen. Uh, and if that's all that I have to struggle through in life outside of, you know, health situations with family and whatnot, like, I, I think I'm doing pretty damn good. Cause there's a lot of people in the world that have it a lot worse off. You know, right. so it's not, I'm not, you know, I don't hold it in. It's just like, yeah, that, that's not, I, I don't, I grew up rough, a little bit rough. You know what I mean? My parents mm -hmm. loved us, us four kids, but you know, I, I didn't grow up with much and I don't need much. And if, 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 if we lost everything right now, my, my wife and I would live in a teepee. We don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Um, but the inability to provide for my young kids, my family, that was embarrassing. You know what yeah. I mean, and 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 it it wasn't the type of life I told my wife we would we would lead, and so you know we like we like wrote a contract when we were sixteen years old, and the contract and my mom kind of oversaw this contract because I've been with my wife for since we were sixteen, and it was something like if Pete Roberts gets a job, Amanda will will take care of everything else mm. in the house you know, the, the laundry and cooking dinner and all this stuff. Right. And yeah. we, we still joke about that. Um, but I, I, you know, I kind of took that like serious, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to be a, I'm not going to be a bum, you know, I'm not going to go off the rails. And, and I, and I did, I went off the rails a little bit and I found out that my ideas weren't indestructible. Like I thought they were like, Oh shit. Um, just because you have a good idea, and it's meaningful to you doesn't mean it's meaningful to somebody else. 
you know, and, and so like vetting those ideas and surrounding yourself with good people who challenge you in those ideas. It was, it's just experience more than anything. It's just good. It was great experience. So. Well, and all that kind of leads to the founding of origin. And so let's go back there. So you, you've had some entrepreneurial uh, experience up to that point. You've taken some lumps. You learned a lot of lessons, you know, your, your wife stuck by your side, obviously, which is, a, which is a great story, even for her. <clears throat> what was the idea behind starting origin? So, did you think, okay, here's what we're going to do and we're going to stay in this vertical? Did you have this idea that you're going to move into a bunch of different areas? Because my assumption is, is that you didn't start out saying, hey, we're going to save American manufacturing, right? No. And we're going to start Origin to do it. So give us everything, the idea behind the name Origin, how you got started, kind of what the vision was then, and then we'll work into how it's expanded. Yeah, there was a start and then there was a, a restart. There was a, there was a, um, Hey, we're going to launch this thing and we're going to do this thing. And then there was a, we're going to shut that down and then we're going to really do this thing. And that was basically in training jujitsu through the recession, I saw just a lack of innovation in, in jujitsu keys and jujitsu gear. And I was like, I'm a designer. I can make that better. And I remember proposing it. I don't know why this is popping up. Let me, uh, weird. And I remember proposing it. That was uh, Cam Haynes, actually. He's trying on our new hunt hunt pants, and the text came through on my computer. I'm going to put this on airplane mode. He's like, these pants are amazing. Uh, <laughs> well, hey, if you need to respond to him like that, that's a pretty oh, important text because we're going to get there. Yeah, he says they're perfect. Um, so uh, so I was like, I, I'd like to do something about this. And I remember talking to my wife like, hey, I want to I want to try to start this new business. But she was so fatigued from the stress of shutting that last business down. And, yeah. you know, it just, she was really, really nervous about it. Ultimately she's like, you know, do what you need to do. She actually had me like, you need to fill out your resume and start submitting it and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I said, Hey, let's, let's just, let's just do this. So I started looking for manufacturing and I couldn't find it in the U S and I dug pretty deep. Mm. And I was like, shit. So where does everybody get their jujitsu geese from Pakistan? Right. So I was like, okay, that's what we need to do, I guess. And I just was like, this is, this is ridiculous. You can only get geese in Pakistan and China. It's ridiculous. But we, we did it like everybody else did. And we did it for the first year of business. And then I found out that our manufacturer was ripping us off and selling our intellectual property into Europe. The different things, you know, I had been designing. There were some grip trainers. There was a specialty backpack. There was geese and the style of the geese. And I was just like, man, this is such bullshit. I remember calling him out on, I think we were on Zoom, a Zoom call or Skype, whatever it was back then. And being like, his name was Ali. And I was like, hey, Ali, I was like, I just like, this is absolute bullshit. I said, you're selling the things I'm designing to other brands. Mm. I said, that isn't good business. He says, Hey, you know what? It is what it is. You can't do anything about it. Business is business. And I was like, okay. God. And it was uh, shortly thereafter. I was like, okay, so now I have a reason. I, there was a defining moment. There's a reason to put it all on the line and and it wasn't much at that point, but there was a reason to try to find a way to build this in America, you know, and and just somebody basically 
that's ripping us off, telling me you can't do anything about it was all I, I needed. And I was naive and a little bit arrogant and, you know, and I, I thought I, and I thought I could, you know what I mean? So, um, we literally called some friends and family. We started cutting down trees in my backyard. We had some timbers sawn into lo- some logs sawn into timbers, and we started building this little factory in the woods. Found some old L bean sewing machines that we refurbished from like the '40s or '50s, right? And dropped them in, started up a generator, and started trying to sew stuff. I mean, it's completely ass backwards. No business plan, just sheer crime of passion, I guess you could say. Well, I mean, I remember, I, I can't remember the, the exact interview or where it was. It may have been on Jocko's show, but I remember hearing about Origin early, like when y'all were just kind of getting going. And re- I remember thinking to myself, <laughs> which is funny now, what a waste. Just get your stuff from Pakistan. Just yeah. get it from China. Like, what does it matter? Because again, I was very naive. I'm an end consumer. And so I'm like, I don't want to spend 50% more for anything. Like yeah. I like I need to make sure that my budget for my family works. And so something from Pakistan or China fits in. And then as time went on and y'all kept going down that path and I kept seeing videos and in, in, in interviews where it's like, oh yeah, we went to the Dominican Republic to buy some random machine so that we could make, you know, whatever, whatever. And then we had to find one guy in Maine that knew how to work on that machine to fix this out of the other thing. And then it was like, no, no, no. Every last bit of the ghee that you're putting on your body was made here. Every last piece of fabric, the the intellectual property that went into the design. And it's just different, Pete. Like it's, I think that is why origin has done so well because Americans are very proud. Like we're, we're very arrogant about our Americanness. Like we love that, but also it's like y'all have cracked a code that other companies didn't even try to crack. Like they didn't even, they didn't even put pen to paper once, but that's just kind of what y'all do. And y'all, y'all keep doing that. It's impressive. Yeah, I appreciate that. It, it doesn't fit into a traditional business model where you're going to. No, you're, gonna, you're breaking all the rules. Like you're not going to go get an MBA from anywhere and they're going to be like, hey, completely rethink the wheel and start from square one in the woods of Maine. No one's going to tell you to do that. No, it's it's it actually. But but you know what I said when people were like, wow, that's crazy. You're able to do that. I said, man, just look at the the history of America. Look at the history of New England. It was people taking risks on themselves. They had to, you know, go hiking through the woods to find the most powerful rivers to spin a wheel, to spin a, a shaft, to make a loom go. I mean, these, most of them were men. These dudes were like absolute savage pioneers who didn't have the internet and had to figure that shit out. So if they could do it with what they had, which was nothing but hands and daylight, then we should be able to do it with what we have which is access to information. Right. You know? So, um, so yeah, it just hasn't been done in a hundred years is what I say. It says not that it can't be done. It just hasn't been done in a hundred years. And, and the way you learn about starting a business would not be to find some old machines and teach yourself how to sew and then try to find some old looms and some, some folks that know how to, how to fix and run these looms. It just it doesn't make a lot of sense, but somebody has to, start the process there has to be a, a renaissance of manufacturing in america because if we stop making stuff we lose ourselves we can't protect ourselves you know it's it's very very dangerous to not know how to use our resources we're driving ourselves back to uh almost like a in in uh 
a digital age agrarian society. It's almost like a, 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 a you know, a, agriculturally at one point we weren't able to to process the things we we're growing cotton and anything else we didn't there was no we didn't have the industrial revolution yet so it's almost like we're forcing ourselves back to that point but the but what we're cultivating is technology and we're not doing anything with our hands so it's just as bad you know what i mean like right. when, like imagine if america had to go to war right now there's two tanneries left in america that can tan the leather for the boots for our soldiers two two yeah. The third one was in Maine and it shut down during COVID. We almost we almost purchased that place. Uh, I spoke with the federal government about it. They wanted us to keep it open. And I was just like, we, you know, we can't. Yeah. Took down three elephants and we're trying to, you know, like it's we're doing all we can do. But, you know, somebody had to take a stand. And I think that, you know, Maine as as the tip of the spear, I like to call it. It's actually the the shape of the tip of the spear. You know, we we as New Englanders can lead this second industrial revolution and we can do it different and we can do it better and we can do it. We can do it in a way that lifts people up and gives them meaning and purpose um, versus the way it was done back in the day. Well, you, what you're saying is absolutely true, especially with the manufacturing. And we saw that in 2020 when we were concerned about where are we going to get masks from? And China was doing all their, you know, screwing around with us and being like, ah, well, you know, we may be going to send you guys some masks. You think you can lift some of these sanctions over here for some of our people so that, that we can maybe send you some stuff? And we're like, oh, crap. Our masks aren't made here. Our medicine's not made here. Any of that stuff. So kind of what it seems like, and this is what it seemed like for me at the beginning, it seemed like y'all were trying to make the best horse and buggy the world had ever seen when we have cars. And right. I'm like, it seemed like a completely foolish thing at the time to me. And I could not have been more wrong because that is how revolutions get started. Because it wasn't just that y'all were reviving things that had kind of fallen by the wayside. You were resurrecting things that were dead. Like yeah. you were literally taking pieces of... There were pieces of machinery that are central to y'all's business that the only reason that you were able to buy them was because it was too complicated to scrap out the metal Like yeah. at some point, right? It was just shoved in a barn or, or some factory somewhere. And like that's how it ended up being part of what y'all do. And so it seemed like, so y'all are going through this path. You're doing things the hardest way possible, which I appreciate when I go on a hike. I, yeah, I was like, okay, there's a trail normal people take and there's one crazy people take. So I'm going to take the crazy one. So I get it to a degree, uh, even though my entire you know livelihood isn't, isn't uh, you know, on the line or something like that. Yeah. But very early on or seemingly early on from the outside looking in, at least it looked like origin had all kinds of sparks, but the gasoline was poured on it when you found yourself in a conversation over Zoom with a guy that maybe people have heard of called Jocko Willink. And yeah. so at that point, my understanding is that y'all discussed things for a very short period of time and then realized not only did y'all like each other, but you needed to be in business with one another. And so kind of give us a Sparks note, uh, Spark Notes version of how you and Jocko got connected and kind of yeah. what that did for your business. Because all of a sudden it was Origin and then it was Origin USA and then it was Jocko Fuel and it's just kind of, you know, expanded out from there. Yeah. And, and to your point, you know, it would, it's, it's a little bit crazy to think about doing things that way. But if you look at the amount of knowledge that has been exported and, and gone forever, yeah, it's tremendous. And it's across many industries in the United States. So we, we sold ourselves to the lowest bidder 
that's China. Mm -hmm. They were the lowest bidder. And now they've captured the knowledge and the machines and we're relying on them, you know, and we're in this economic uh, war with them, really. You know, and I think for Jocko, you know, he's a jiu-jitsu guy, got out of the teams, the SEAL teams in 2010, I think. And I think he had started following Origin right off. Um, And he was kind of watching what we're doing. I guess we had exchanged some emails early on, but nothing ever materialized. And this is pre-Jocko being, you know, really famous. He's just a a guy that trains jiu-jitsu, loves jiu-jitsu, et cetera, and appreciated what we were doing, uh, what Origin was doing, trying to bring back manufacturing. And he saw, you know, and the way he puts it is like everything that we use in the military, like the boots we wear were made in America. Like there's people hard at work in factories providing the gear for, you know, for America's warriors. And and that really spoke to him. And um, once once he became who he was and I, I had lost like 10 years. So I had a singleness of purpose for 10 years. I didn't watch the news. Uh, I didn't watch current events. I didn't even know what's going on. I'm still finding out things that happened over that 10 year span right. um, all the time. And Jocko had reached out in 2016 or 17. We were, we were four or five years into manufacturing. And um, he kind of put it out there. I've been trying to get a hold of this guy up in Maine, been unsuccessful. If anybody knows how to get in contact with him, trying to get in contact with him. Um, cause he's been talking about origin geese on his podcast. And so we connected through, uh, this woman, Sarah Armstrong, and he's like, you know, told me, Hey, I'm Jocko, yada, yada, yada. I have this podcast. And I was like, I, dude, I don't even know what a podcast is. <laughs> yeah. And he explained it to me and I was like, Oh damn, that's pretty freaking badass." And we spent like four hours talking that first time on a, on this, this zoom or Skype call. You know, just shooting the shit, talking about jujitsu, talking about business. Um, and I was like, this this is a cool dude. You know, he's a jujitsu black belt, you know, which I, uh, you know, really respect someone who's gone through that journey. You know, so I know the way black belts normally think, you know, they're, they, I think they just think a little differently, you know, maybe not all of them, but all the ones I've met, they think a little bit differently. And, it, and there's a certain amount of respect there uh, for someone who's achieved that. And he's like, man, I want to get involved with Origin. We should find a way to partner up. We got off the phone and his wife, Helen's like, uh, Jocko, it sounded like you were talking to yourself. <laughs> you know? So, you know, we're, we're very different, but very similar. You know, I mean, the, the way we look at the world are, you know, ideals about um, protecting America and, and, you know, and, and remembering where we came from and, improving improving this this country for the better and you know just just the outlook on life and jujitsu is very much aligned so he flew up to maine and we had a steak and a handshake in portland maine and he's like man you know basically i'll make it rain because i will tell the world you know if you can if you can supply the demand and and kind of run the business and figure all this stuff out we were at this point we were like seven, 10, 12 employees, some, somewhere between there. It was just a few of us, you know what I mean? So there was, there was no risk to us partnering. And so we, we got in bed together in a, in a, in a big way, you know what I mean? Um, and 
decided we'd really, we'd really do this. And I remember Jocko saying to me, we were looking at buying our first like building. It was a 20,000 square foot building. And I remember telling him like, man, I don't know how we're going to afford to pay this mortgage. It's a half a million dollars. You know, we're still out in this little timber frame factory. You know what I mean? It's a half a million dollars. It's 20,000 square feet. And I remember him saying, hey, listen, you will not have to worry about that mortgage payment. You will never have to worry about that mortgage payment by the building. And I knew that at that point I had the the right partner. You know what I mean? So now there's three of us. There's myself, there's Tadeco, Andre Almeida, um, and then there's Jocko. Um, and, and, and us and our spouses, you know, we, we own Origin. So, yeah, man, he's been a great partner. Um, really stayed true to who he was. I mean, we, we had a stake and a handshake and we didn't have a contract for three years, man. Like we just yeah. went. So it, it, we did it a very old school way, just like everything else origin. It, you know, it's, it's, you, you shake the person's hand, you look them in the eyes and you go to work and, and you trust them and you trust them. And, and, and shit like that doesn't happen anymore. Well, Pete, I mean, there's something refreshing about a story like that because we live in the most litigious society, maybe in the history of civilization. Right. And so like, you can't, you know, decide who's going to be your secretary of your homeowners association without some sort of contractual agreement, much less something like this, where you're building something. I'm curious where the shift happened because obviously, you know, Jocko was, you know, blowing the horns saying, Hey, everyone should buy this. And that y'all have a great story. The only American made ghee, you know, from soup to nuts is, is the origin ghee and all those different things. But something shifted definitely at some point. I don't know if there was an exact point or if you just woke up one day and realized you were doing it. We've mentioned it several times in the show where we're not just going to make stuff in America. We're not just going to make great products that people are proud to wear and, you know, wave their little American flag while they buy it online. But y'all became intent on Origin USA and then the expansion to Jocko Fuel and that whole line of products to rebuilding and reclaiming American manufacturing. Right. Which sounds dumb to even say because it's such a big idea. Like, it's not like I'm going to eat clean for 30 days or I'm going to train jujitsu for six months and and be consistent. It's a whole different thing. It's not even like when people talk about how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? It's a woolly mammoth. It's an entire family of woolly mammoths that you, you can only take the world's smallest bite to rebuild America and reclaim American manufacturing. When did that shift happen? Because all of a sudden it was like everything y'all were doing, every new vertical, every new idea was to that end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it happened early on. Um, you know, as I was traveling around New England, going to these old mills and factories looking for machinery, there's this just there's air of of just depression. You know, it, it, there's there's just these deteriorating communities. They're falling apart. The homeless people, the drugs and alcohol, so the substance abuse and and, and physical abuse and it was, it's, it's just bad, man. It, and it's, and it's not how I remember growing up when, you know, there were, there were mills and factories, you know, pre world trade organization, kind of pre NAFTA. So I was growing up during the time where every week in the newspaper, another factory, another mill would be shutting down. Hmm. And I didn't appreciate that, but it did drive perspective later on when we started manufacturing and I started looking for help and couldn't find it and started going into these mills and just thinking like, why, 
Why? Why, why can't we do this anymore? And I think I've always asked that question. It got me in trouble a lot as a kid. <laughs> got my whole family kicked out of a church once, you know, because I, I was 13 years old questioning what the pastor was preaching. And like, no, that's actually bullshit because that's your own ideas and, and that's your own influence and that's your own interpretation. You know, so I, I always asked why and, and, I, and I didn't care who I asked it to. And so I just asked the question, why and why can't it come back? Well, because it's dead. It's gone forever. Why? Who says that? Where's your source? Why? Well, because it's, it's, it's more expensive to make it here. With all of our new technology and all of the opportunity for automation, it can't be done differently. And, I, and so I just looked at the, the, the problem in the equation like I approached jujitsu. It literally was just applying jujitsu to business and trying to find the angles and the, and the leverage and the timing, you know, and, and applying all those concepts into business and, and, and trying to stay lean and, and not knowing much about business, being, being a little bit naive. And I asked the question, why? And I got the answer because somebody said so. Hmm. Well, I don't respect that person. So let's say, no, you can build it in America. Let's just change the narrative to, oh, made in America is dead to made in America is alive. You know, like it's, it's alive. It's, you just got to remind people why it feels good to build calluses. You got to remind people that it feels good to build something hard together. And, uh, and we had to start out that, that concept, you know, that, that thesis that, oh, it can be done. I put it out there and hired a person, then two people, and then four people, and those four trained eight and 16 and, and so on and so forth. And we just started tracking everything we were doing and putting it out there to the world. Like, hey, this is what we're doing. We're going to do it without compromise. And you know what? We may make some tuition payments along the way, but we will not fail at it. Um, my wife and I remortgaged our house. You know, we you know we took some bold steps to make it happen. Jocko came on board. He abandoned some some very lucrative financial relationships to come on board with Origin. That was my ask. You know, hmm. and um, and it just it just felt like it was the right time to remind people that it's not about fast fashion it's not about the latest and greatest and and you should know who is building your product and how they're building it and and also remember that our grandparents who fought in world war ii the greatest generation they fought for our ability to not only to be free and to think freely um but they they fought for something deeper it 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 was a shift in the mindset of the world at that time and i feel like the things they fought for got sold away you know what i mean like completely sold away scraped and sold, you know, like a thief in the night, they just disappeared. And it, and it, and it, and, and the people 
were, were sacrificed. The jobs and the communities were sacrificed and that wasn't their intent. You know, their intent of, of, of kind of protecting America and, and, and turning on that manufacturing machine during World War II and the factories retooling, like that's what made, made it all work. That's what made it all happen. You know, and the, and the fact that they fought for that and that the women went into the factories and built the tanks and the guns and the clothes and the boots, like that is so core to who we are. They would be, they're rolling over in their graves now that, that we've become so disconnected from, from the source of what got us started. Um, so I, I had this kind of internal, like, my grandfather would only be proud if we did it this way. My grandfather, who grew up working in the Peabody tanneries at eight years old, pulling tacks out of the hides by hand, he wouldn't be proud of us importing stuff from Pakistan. My great grandmother, who worked in the Lowell spinning mills as a Lowell mill girl, she wouldn't she wouldn't be proud as an immigrant, you know. And and like the 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 easy path is a path that's going to lead to nowhere and the hard path is is a path that's going to lead to to victory and freedom ultimately and and so i i just constantly remind myself every day like what we're fighting for and i, I truly believe we are changing the face of america when it comes to how people think about what they wear how people think about manufacturing rebuilding communities the messages I've received of people starting factories, you know, and, and mm-hmm. getting manufacturing. It's insane. It's insane. It's, it's, it's amazing. I know we're having an influence on rebuilding America. And I believe that my generation is responsible. I call it the Fort Builder generation. It's uh, I'm a Gen Xer. I, I say, I, I say like, it's not all on us, but we are, we are in a big way responsible for the future of the company. Cause it's my generation who didn't have technology, the fort builders, the big wheel riders, who then found technology in college, right? Mm. We were directly connected to the gen to the uh, to the um, to the greatest generation because they were our grandparents, and our kids are the first ones that are like fully, you know, involved in these digital devices right. who have never had any authentic experiences. So, like, there's these market dynamics. And I, I feel I feel responsible for changing the way America's going. It's it's the it's the Gen Xers that are going to get into politics, are in politics now, mm-hmm. are going to be the next president of the United States, and and we have to bear the burden of what the face and future of America and American industry looks like. It's on. It's really on us, you know. And so um, I I know that you know. I know that. And I'm trying to do my part at the same time. Well, and as you're talking, Pete, it's, and, and you know, I, I say this as a term of endearment, it was almost like you and your team were too dumb to believe when someone told you no, because but, typically the, the book would say the answer is no, move on. Yeah. This, this thing doesn't exist anymore. This can't be reclaimed. And so all the smart people would say, all right, we'll move on and try to do something a different way. Well, that's how a lot of our manufacturing was moved 
to begin with because yeah. you had basically people that were earning slave wages overseas. American yeah. companies took advantage because of the almighty dollar and yeah. that's how it happened. It happened little by little by little and then all at once. And now you're trying to reverse that little by little by little and hopefully all at once at some point. And you talked about, you know, you took some lumps, like I call it dummy tax. Like guys, if you're going to do anything that's worth doing, you're going to pay dummy tax as smart as you are, or as many support systems as you have, that's certainly going to happen. And you were talking about the greatest generation. Like think about the people that were in line to buy war bonds. Yeah. Not because they had to, but because they wanted to, because they believed in something that was so far outside of themselves. But now we live in a culture where we're obsessed with the self. Yeah. Whereas like our parents' generation, they would have never identified themselves as, oh, I'm uh, based on their their sex or based on their political affiliation or something like that. They're like, look, I'm a dad. I'm a business owner. I'm an American. Like those types of things, like even just our ideals on on identity have have shifted so unbelievably much. But to keep us from going off of the you know philosophical train here, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the main product lines within Origin, and you know we'll, we'll have to give short shrift to all these because we're not going to be here all day. But mainly, I'm I'm thinking about the geese, the jeans, and the boots. Okay, yeah. so at some point, like obviously the story of the jeans was you know very famous at this point. Jocko sitting in a in an airport and he sees all these people walking around in jeans and he calls you and he's like, hey, what does basically everybody own? They own jeans. Let's figure out how we can make some jeans. The boots are on another level. Like I. Uh, they're just, when you have them in your hand, you feel like there's something of substance in your hand. Like it just feels different, but the geese, and then you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. The geese are on a different level entirely. And so again, I've rolled a lot of rounds. I prefer uh, doing gi work over no gi. You know, I've had my tatami Estilo 6.0s and I've had my random gi because it had a cool design on the inside, but the gi itself sucked and, you know, the pants ripped or they just didn't really fit right. But I could literally feel the difference and I'm not just putting you on. The first time I put on a, an origin gi, I was like, oh, I get it. Because yeah. I had had other friends that had had origin gis and they train with them. They're like, oh, the belt buckle is so cool and, and all these different things. But whenever I put one on and then I put on the path gi and then I put on the rift gi and I'm like, this doesn't make sense. It feels like pajamas, but yeah. they're they're danger pajamas. They're struggle pajamas, like that type of thing. So talk to me about some of those lines because obviously it started with the geese mm -hmm. and then I believe you expanded out to jeans and then boots were added or something like that. Just talk to me about some of your products because I know you're proud of them. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, jujitsu, you know, the gi hadn't been in, reinvented for a hundred years. It, it was a cotton, uh, it was a textile used for upholstery, right? So all other gi companies out there are basically, you're wearing upholstery. That's how I yeah. like to put it. Um, that's where pearl weave came from. It's in a, it's an mm -hmm. upholstery fabric and it was just durable enough to make into a, a kimono that you could then pull on and not rip. So understanding where we had come from no one had ever really really designed and manufactured a a garment a piece of gear for jujitsu that actually should help you perform better that should make you one or two percent better maybe even more and so we went into you know like fabric a little bit of fabric science and um you know, just how you blend things and twist things and weave things. And we produced a garment that actually is designed for jujitsu. It's not designed for upholstery. Mm -hmm. So all those other brands that import from Pakistan and China, because that's the only other places you can get geese. I don't even know if there's any gi manufacturers in Brazil anymore. You're wearing, uh, you're wearing something that has a cool embroidery on it that, that actually isn't going to help you perform better. So mm -hmm. that's all it boils down to. 
You know, we like, why aren't NFL players still wearing leather helmets? You know, like, yeah. no, man, there's innovation. You know, there's innovation in every single sport. You know, Under Armour came out with the football shirt, which was a tight knit shirt against your skin that cooled you. Like, it's that simple. There's technology out there that could be deployed in jujitsu that wasn't that that we deployed and developed some of the technology. So, like, if if you're doing jujitsu and you're not wearing Origin, I feel real bad for you <laughs> because you are blinded. You know what I mean? Like, you are blinded by what you know that you could just be performing that much better. Um, so. And of course, the quality is, is second to none. As far as like boots and jeans, like those other two core products. Um, and then, of course, getting into our new hunt line, we decided to build the two hardest things to make, boots and jeans. And the two things that used to be made in America in a big way. Mm. And we knew that if we could make these two things, we could make anything. Our first pair of boots starting from the sketch on a piece of paper I gave to this old timer, Henry, it cost us the half a million dollars to get our first pair of boots. That's, that was all tuition payments. Yeah. Being naive that you can do it again, finding the old machinery, trying to figure it out and having a singleness of purpose on that. And the same thing with jeans. The thing with jeans is our gi pants we manufactured like jeans. So it was an easy, it was an easy transition, but, uh, Jeans and boots are what built America and their core to who we are. And we had to make those two things in an effort to be able to make anything else we were going to make as a brand. Of course, our goal is to become America's next big brand. You know, it's to, it's to build a Yeti, not a unicorn. Unicorns are soft and weak. You know, like we're building a, a billion dollar company. And, and when we get to that point, is there 20, 30, 40 factories spread across America? the mills and people that that's going to employ the farmers that are going to have to grow the material cotton or wool, you know, like there's, there's something very special and real and undeniable in, in something there. No one is going to chase. No other brand is going to chase that because they're focused on the brand. They're not focused on people. So that's key to who we are. We start with people. We're born on the ground. Made in America without compromise, built to work, made for life. Seed to shelf, dirt to shirt, field to finish, fiber to fabric. This is how we're going to do it. And we will not, and we will not sway or swerve or move. We will, we will continue going this direction. I think one of the things that as we were talking about the future direction and how we how we build the supply chain up and what's core to our demographic, you know, and and, and that that man that we sell to because we we are we don't have a women's line yet, you know, in a couple of years we will. Hmm. Um, was that person who trains and lifts and rolls and runs and rides? They also are looking to provide for their family. They're also hunters, you know. They also they also get out there and 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 try to be true hunter gatherer providers and and we knew we had the ability to build a hunting line and we knew we had the the know-how and the wherewithal we've already proven it on the mats you know that we can build the world's most durable gear we knew through jujitsu we could provide innovation in textile science you know and 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 we knew our market would be like 
damn, and nobody else was doing it. And the American hunter is probably, you know, one of the most, you know, savage patriots, you know, in America. They care about made in America and none of them are wearing anything made in America when it comes to hunt. So right. we're, we're obviously launching that line here in the, in the coming week. So, you know, we've got big plans. Um, our line plan next year is massive. The things we're going to build and make the textiles we're going to knit and, and weave. Um, but, but we're not stopping, but those things, those the, the jujitsu born on the ground, denim and boots that built America, they're really core to who we are as a brand. Um, and I know that, you know, we've kind of made it when we're, when I'm sitting in the airport watching people walk around in origin jeans. So, um, so yeah, man, that's that. I mean, it's, it's quite the path that y'all have taken to doing this. So I do want to talk a little bit more about the hunting line specifically, because that has caused quite the stir, obviously, because it's a lot of people that frankly, maybe don't do jujitsu or haven't even heard about the jeans and the boots, but they're like, wait a minute, American made hunting gear. Like that, that sounds different. Oh wait, Cam Haynes is wearing uh, this stuff and he's talking about it on the Joe Rogan experience. And like, all of a sudden there's all this, all this smoke, but then I, I, and you can tell me whatever you feel comfortable telling me on air. It's not a, it's not an easy thing to do, especially when guys have expectations because they know when they're going to be out in the field taking care of business, right? A lot of guys are going to be out in September and, and, you know, they're still waiting, you know, they're signed up on the email list. So give us an update on kind of where the line is, but also what does the line include? Cause a lot of people are excited about origin hunting gear, but they don't even know what all is going to be included in that. Yeah. I mean, people are really good about trusting the process because we have never, you know, failed them. You know, we've been people are like, Oh, we're just going to build hunt line. Are they going to be able to do that? Man, we've been doing it for a decade. We've been building the most durable shit in America for a decade. We're just applying that to to the hunt industry. So, um, you know, a little bit about how we were able to do it. You know, one of my my new partners actually now is a guy named Kip Falks, and he he was the co-founder of Under Armour, uh, savage dude. You know, former professional lacrosse player um and a and a hunter and i got him into jiu-jitsu also recently nice uh but uh you know he brought this idea that he had for and he you know he was a chief operating officer at under armor for a long time you know the guy knows how to build product he knows how to make product he knows how to manufacture product and source textiles and and he was telling me when he first started back in the late 90s you know they used to have 20 factories in america making all their gear you know, so here's a guy who he did the same thing we did. He found an old factory, he loaded up a U-Haul with machinery, drove it to Maryland, bought a house in Maryland, put all the sewing machines in the house and started making stuff. So, you know, I think him seeing what we were doing was not only, you know, a little bit nostalgic for him, but something he he wanted to get involved in. And he 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 had this idea for this hunt line that you know, we were discussing for a while, but really kind of convinced me on the need for origin to do this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how it can, it can wedge open a whole group of people to the brand and, and they already would, will fit into the mindset. They already get the message. They just don't know we're here. They don't know we exist, you know, and, and, and they're very loyal to, to America, they're patriots. So, 
Um, you know, I, I, I hunt, I haven't hunted a lot in the last 10 years cause I've been focused on the brand, but my son is a avid hunter and trapper and my wife's whole family are avid hunters also, hmm. you know, and you know, I get out, I get out, you know, once or twice a year and I get to hunt, but it's not that often. Um, you know, and talking with Kip about, can we do this in America? The answer was yes. But then the second question was, how about the textiles, though? You know, like, we got to stay true to who we are, man. Like, made in America without compromise. That means everything's got to be knit and woven in America. Even the printing, the printing of the camo, the acid etching and sublimation of the camo. Mm. Is there the infrastructure there? And we found in different parts of America and the nooks and crannies, we found a way to make it happen. We found the acid printer. We found the sublimation company and the print company. You know, the last ones left that are still printing camo for the military. And we we found some textiles and improved upon them, performance textiles. We we gleaned some some things from the military that let's just say had never been used commercially, only ever mm. been used in the military, some different wool products and we, we tweaked those and we developed a line of technology and then we used those technologies, those textiles to develop a line of product. And we took old school tiger stripe camo and reinvented it, you know, uh, and we call it Raptor camo, origin Raptor camo. And we just kind of mashed all these things together and we got it done. And we're about to go into manufacturing. I'm in here in North Carolina. We're about to go into manufacturing here in the in next week. So a little bit about like what we're building. It's a simple solution. It's a simple idea. There's an alpha, a Bravo and a Charlie layer, an ABC. That's your layering system. When you purchase a product, it's going to have an A, a B or a C on it. Um, there's base layer. There's Tetralock light, which is a more of a, a, a cooling shirt. There's nano wool, which would be more of an insulation. Um, there's nylock, which is an ultra durable nylon based, uh, textile we use in our pants. There's stealth wool, which is a uh, freaking really cool, breathable wool, merino, wool, American merino wool insulation layer. There's a stow jacket, which is, um, badass. It's like a, a windbreaker style jacket. Um, and these have different types of finishes and different features, which I'm not going to get fully into. Then we have a rain layer, we have an insulation layer, um, Nova Lock, and all of them have lock on the ends, L-O-C, because we're born on the ground, man. We have body lock, guard lock, <laughs> Nova Lock, poly lock, right? So we Tetra Lock. Um, we have all these, all these new textiles, and we're going to use them in hunt this season, and then we're going to yank them all into the durable goods and all the other shit we're building. So the nylock material that we're using for a pant will also be used for a tactical pant in 2023. You know, the nano wool we're using for this base layer will also be used for a ninja hoodie, a black or gray or OD green ninja hoodie in 2023. So it's, it's, it's been an expensive proposition, mm. you know, a very expensive proposition. Um, but like to build performance technical product in America, not a lot of companies are doing that. I think east of the Mississippi, we might be the only one doing it at the level we're doing it. So owning that supply chain, um, starting with people and making sure it's done without compromise. I think it's honorable, you know, I mean, and it's not me doing it. 
you know, I, I cast kind of the wide vision and we have 400 people making that shit happen. So I think it's honorable, but most importantly, I think, I think if, if the Gen Xers are going to be hugely responsible for the future of America, I think it has to be done. And we just got to continue to proliferate the message of made in America. Why it's important. Check the tag, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I agree that it is an honorable thing to do. And a lot of the things that are honorable aren't always necessary. And yeah. the fact that y'all see it as both, this is honorable, but it's also necessary. And y'all are going to be paid off uh, for that because, you know, anymore, especially in 2022, people will buy things because it makes them feel good, right? Yeah. They'll buy from a particular brand because it makes them feel good. They don't have a positive feeling in their in their heart when they're buying a, you know, a, a pair of Nike shoes or a pair of Adidas shorts or something like that. There's, there's not that feeling there because it's just this big faceless brand that makes stuff that they've bought before that they see their friends wearing. This is different. The stuff y'all are producing is very, very different. And I like all my listeners and everyone that y'all have talked to is super, super excited about the hunting line. All the other stuff is great too. And like everybody loves everything else, but there's something different. It feels different about the hunting line. It feels like it's almost an elevated uh, you know, version of importance. Yeah, it's complete, you know, and I think my ultimate goal in all of this is in a, and we got a message from a gentleman whose daughter, I think she was like nine years old, wanted to wear his origin hoodie. And he, and he had to explain to her what, what it means mm. to be able to wear this. That's, that's thoughtful. That's touching people in a different way. So when people wear that and what that circle is, that origin is the, it's the wave of freedom. It's, it's the reclamation reclaiming, it's reshoring the machinery and it's restoring communities. Reclaim, reshore, restore. It's the wave of freedom. If we can do those things, you know, that that momentum is going to is going to carry us into this this new wave, this new renaissance of manufacturing. And. And I think that uh, if we don't do it, I think we lose ourselves and I think I think the foundation of what America was built on is going to actually change what America is. And and I like what it is. Yeah, I agree with you. And to be honest, that would be an amazing place to leave it, but I'm, I'm greedy and selfish. And I have one more question uh, because there, there's one more thing. So I know you're a forward thinker, obviously you, you, as you were describing the hunting line, Mm -hmm. right? You're describing the tactical pants and you're describing the other stuff that your processes are going to be feeding into next year, but that's 2023. Yeah. Okay. Last question of the day, origin USA 2033. Okay. What are those things that are on the periphery of your imagination? And don't worry, my audience isn't going to hold you to it unless I get real aggressive. And then I say, yeah, go for it. What are those things that no one's really even thinking about? Maybe Jocko's not thinking about it. Kip's not thinking about it. Like no one's really thinking about it. What are those things that you want to have the origin logo on 10 years from now? Yeah. in 10 years from now, you're probably going to see origin factory stores seated across America where as a consumer, you can come in, you can buy a pair of jeans. You know, everything in that store is made in America because our message has hit uh, 300 million people. Mm. And you, you buy those pair of jeans and you look up on the screen of the factory making them and someone on the other end says, man, hey, Kyle, thanks for your jeans. Here's the team that made them. So we're going to do more of what we're doing 
we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to bring it to more people because more people need it. From an innovation perspective, you will see us in probably footwear, probably training, sneakers, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, anything you wear, we'll be making. Anything you wear, we will be making in America without compromise. So use your imagination on that. <laughs> Uh, I can certainly use my imagination. So can the rest of you guys. But Pete, I appreciate it. I'm so glad that we finally got this nailed down. I'm glad that uh, we were both sticking to uh, this time. And man, that was that was a lot of fun being able to hear a little bit more about the story. And I think we heard some stuff that uh, hasn't been said before in any of your other interviews. But for now, I know we'll have you on again. But for now, that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? No, man, I appreciate you having me on. I'm, again, I apologize. We had to do the rescheduling thing, but it's it's great to get on and talk with you. Um, I appreciate all the questions and letting me share, you know, my story and the origin story with your audience. It's awesome. But when you again, when you reschedule because you have to go buy a factory or hire a hundred people or save America, I guess it's okay. I guess yeah. I can squeeze you in at a later date. So I'm not offended in the least bit. Pete Roberts, thank you for coming on Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Thank you much, man. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Pete Roberts. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got a link to the Origin YouTube channel, but then also the Origin website. So OriginMain.com, guys, that's where you can go check out their products. That's all the Origin products. So that's the boots, the geese, the rash guards, everything. And then also all the Jocko Fuel products. So that's the proteins, the vitamins, the supplements, everything else. And remember, when you go to checkout, use the promo code Kyle, just my first name, K-Y-L-E. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song, Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary recording of their album leveler the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah